Ron and Anian. Sometimes I think that we are on a little space mission of our own. We're driving around in our own little spaceships and the technology that's there. And then I see the way some people drive, and i got to think they're from another world. Well, I was just 15 when I got my first car. For $19 from an old fruit jar. 49 Chevy with a heavy-duty clutch. It wasn't very pretty, but it didn't cost much. Two old tons of chrome and steel. A man's best friend is his automobile. The Car Doctor. If you have any questions about what to put in, call me, 855-560-9900. We can talk about what you should be putting in your car. And um, I'll write a prescription just for you on what your diet should be. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in. Sit down. Ronnie Nanny, the car doctor. Phone number is 855-560-9900. Radio, radio show website is cardoctorshow.com. Links for podcasts, tune in, iHeart, iTunes.com, and so forth. And uh, we're here for you because that's what this radio show is all about. I am Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor and have been these past 25-plus years. I think about building a mechanic. Can you build a mechanic the way you build a car? And it's a thought that goes through my mind all the time because I keep thinking about who's going to fix the cars of tomorrow. Never mind the technology, just who's going to physically and mentally be up to the challenge. And I think that's part of what we do. I received, well, I'll tell you what, I received that. I received more than a few emails, but I received one this morning that just about brought me to tears about a young man who who sent me a note on Facebook about how he used to listen to the radio show with his grandfather. And I don't know, maybe I'm old and I've just been on the air too long, but uh, he talked about how I've been on the— You are on your sixth decade. Yeah, I am on my sixth decade on the planet, right? Yes, you are right, big man. And um, I haven't told Tom this story. I know I told Tony when I picked him up from the train— but a young man was telling me the story about how his he used to listen to the radio show with his grandfather uh, when when I was on another incarnation, and he said he has now grown up and listening to me, he decided he became a mechanic. He's become a technician, and he's working down around the Jersey Shore area. And I started thinking about building technicians and you know the influence and uh, you know you don't realize the influence you have on other people. And I guess the fact that you can steer one or two along the way, maybe that's a good thing, and it is a good thing. But can you build a technician? And that's what kind of got me thinking. I, I thought about this week. Did I do my job to build my technician into a better technician? Did I take care of Danielson? And I think I did. We had a 98 Jeep Wrangler 4-liter. Needed an exhaust manifold. The exhaust manifold cracked like they all do down around the base. And Danny hadn't done that job yet. At least he hadn't done it for me professionally in the shop. Maybe I don't think he's done it at home because when I asked him, he says, no, he hasn't done that one yet. And I said, you know what? Go ahead. Take it apart. I watched him. He took it apart. I did. I went about my day, and I did the things that I was doing in my bay and out front. And, you know, he took it apart, and I watched him. And he, you know, he, he, he did it the way I do it. He took all the parts. He stacked it up on the bench from left to right. What are you doing? Well, this is how you do it. Yeah. I said, why do you do it that way? He says, well, you do it. He says, but I understand why you do it. You see, and that's 
that's when I knew I was on to something, that when they say, I understand why you do it, and that's key. The reason I do it is because if I assemble things from left to right, when I go to put it back together, I go right to left, and I can't, I can't miss anything. It's not a jumbled pile <laughs> on the floor. Uh, I think this one goes here, and I think that one goes there. Uh, you know, so until I do the job a couple of times, that's, that's always been my methodology. And then when he went to put the manifold back on, the new manifold, the new exhaust manifold with the original intake manifold, he had a problem. He got the manifold on, he got the two manifolds on, and he started the top bolts. And there's two rows of bolts, high and low. And the high bolts are easy to get to. You just lean over the fender and, you know, it's, it's, it's easy. The bottom bolts, you have to kind of, you know, finagle through the alleged wheel well openings on the side. And it's very, very difficult. And he's using a 3-8 long extension with, and he's using two 3-8 extensions stacked on top of each other, which I don't like doing. Yes, it gives you extension, but it also, it wobbles. It, it, it's not rigid. And I explained to him why, you know, one extension, you want an extension, you've got an extension in the box that's 24 inches long, use it. And always use a locking extension in a case like this. This way the socket doesn't fall off the end. Get in the habit of being prepared for when that socket falls off, will it fall off into a bad place? In this case, it wouldn't, but learn the habit, and this way you can't go wrong down the road. And I said to myself, yeah, I'm building a better technician. And we had problems. He had problems getting the bolt in. The bolt wasn't long enough. And he says to me, the bolt's not long enough. I don't understand. And I'm looking at it, and two things were going on. One, the bolt was recessed. The snap-on socket was too deep. It was a regular shallow socket, but it had just too much area for the bolt to sink into, and it sunk in enough that the thread wouldn't catch going into the hole. So I had to elevate the bolt out of the socket but keep it in the socket. So I went in the back room. I got a small nut to use as a spacer, put that in the socket, put a little dum-dum on top of that, then put the bolt on, and that made it stick out just enough that it just started to catch the threads. But it still wasn't right. Danny said, I still can't get it to line up. So I took another look, and I saw what had happened. He had misaligned the exhaust manifold, so it wasn't actually sitting flush. It was sitting at a little bit of an angle. I'm sorry, the the intake manifold was sitting at a little bit of an angle, and it was just enough that it would hold the bolt away from fully going in. So I took the manifold off. I showed him. I said, you know, this has to be lined up here, and this has to be lined up there. It's a sight thing. I said, don't assume just because it's in place, it's in place. Look. And I only have to tell Danny once. Danielson learns by, by, by listening and looking. And I only had to tell him once, and he got it. And it's a feel thing. And the kid has a good sense of feel. He has a good sense of touch. He's, I always said he's an NFL quarterback. He's just, he's just coming along. All right, and if the Giants don't play good tomorrow, we may send them their way too. We'll see what happens. So that was for you, Tony. And he got the job done. He understood everything we did. I also made him switch and use a quarter-inch extension instead of the three-eighths to get the bolt started because I explained when you're in a tight hole, using a smaller extension and a, a socket of a quarter-inch nature instead of three-eighths gives you more wiggle and swivel to move things around. And he looked at me afterwards, and we were talking, and he said, how did you learn all that? Trial and error, baby. You know, it was just, it's just, uh, to me, it's 43 years and you just, you just kind of know. But I don't have 43 years left. 
And I wonder, you know, how much can I instill in these kids? And I say it like that because it's important because they're the ones that are going to have to feel their way, no pun intended. Sense of feel is very important when it comes to repairing cars. My friend Chuck, the body man, we were talking, and I asked him, and don't laugh at me, but I asked him the other day, I said, do you think he could teach me to paint a car? Because I've never painted a car. I think that would be really cool to say I painted this. And he said, you have the ability to paint. He says, I've watched you. Because he has. I, I have done some painting here and there. I haven't painted a whole car. I've painted sections and stuff. And he said, he said, I would have to teach you touch. He said, touch is something that you're either born with or you have to be taught if you can be taught. He says, you could be taught touch and sense of feel. He goes, you have it because you're a mechanic with your hands. He said, but the biggest problem with body shops today is people don't have that sense of touch. They don't have that sense of feel, and they don't have the ability to take things apart in their head and put it back together without looking at it on a computer now. And I think it's a problem that we're getting so far away from the basics that it's going to affect how cars get fixed. So I guess what I'm really trying to say to you is if you're in the position in this industry, because I know I've got, you know, I've, I know I've got my brother professionals out there listening to this show, let's elevate it up. Let's let's teach the kids touch. Let's teach the kids feel. Let's teach the kids visual. Let's teach the kids how to look at fixing the car before they actually fix the car. Let's stop teaching them about rebuilding carburetors, starters, and alternators because that does them absolutely no good unless, you know, we go back in time about 40 or 50 years. That just doesn't make any sense to me. So, you know, there's a lot of conversation out there where they say take a kid to a car show. I think my thought process is let's teach a mechanic how to touch, see, feel, and hear. Much more important when it comes to fixing the car. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. We are coming back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're on Nanny and the Car Doctor at your service at 855-560-9900. Let's get on over and talk to Isaac in Wisconsin, 06 Honda Accord with a noise on startup. Isaac, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Isaac? Isaac. Where'd Isaac go? Hey, like this. We're quiet in Wisconsin. He's up on the screen. Well, you know what? Let's go do a quick piece of email before we open up the phones. Should we take the phone call? Anyway, they're telling me no. Well, I'm going to keep talking because I've learned a long time ago that sound on radio is very important. On the chance that they fix this, let me get this email in that I've been trying to do for the past half hour. Uh, this one comes to us from Linwood. Ron, you recommended Ford Explorers over others on your show and comment on Ford sharing tech problems with guys like you. I bought one, and the wrench light has come on four times. Two throttle bodies, ABS problems, and now all-terrain malfunction. This is a brand-new car I've been saving for all my life, maybe with your cozy ties. Excuse me? With Ford, you can help me. Go to carcomplaints.com and read the horror stories. Thank you. This comes to us from Linwood. I'm not sure where he is from. Um, Gene Linwood, i got to tell you, I really don't have cozy ties with Ford. When I say Ford shares tech problems with guys like me, they share it with a lot of guys like me, and they also share information with me as far as scan tool, but we have to pay for the tool. So it's not like I'm, uh, it's not like I'm sleeping with these guys. Um, bottom line, 
what I would t- what I would question is why you've had the same problem four times, and I would tell you that cars are only as good as the mechanics working on them. And while you can tell me your particular Explorer has got some nightmarish issues, I work on more than a fair share of late model Explorers and I haven't had anything like this. So I would ask you to, I would recommend to you that if you're having repetitive problems in the same area, and you don't tell me what year this car is, but if you're having repetitive problems in the same area, then I would tell you to go ahead and tell the Ford dealer that you want to talk to the factory rep or the service rep for your area and say, hey, listen, I've got the same problem four times. You know, why is that? And what are you going to do for me? And um, believe me, as, as much as you think it's a big deal because you've been saving for the car all your life, they don't really care. They sold you the car. I mean, being honest. All right? So staying calm and uh, focused will get the problem resolved a lot easier than uh, sounds like you're getting angry in this email, and I don't think that's going to get you anywhere, brother. So um, just be aware that there are there is recourse Um it's just a matter of who's working on it and how hard do they want to get to the bottom of the problem. Isaac, Wisconsin, I, w- I want to get to the bottom of your problem. Welcome to the car, Doctor, sir. What's going on? You there? Yeah, I'm here this time. Okay, cool. What do you got? I uh, just recently picked up a 2006 Honda Accord. Okay. Um, 106,000 miles plus on it. Just broken and in. And what's that? Just broken in. Yep, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Four, so, four cylinder or six? Four. Okay. Um, picked it from a family member in terms of maintenance-wise. Done a good job with the maintenance records. Um, and when I started it up, I noticed there's a real hesitant kind of beginning knock, right, when you start it up. Sounds like, you know, one or two cylinders kind of goes bang, bang, and then we're good, smooth, idle, everything like that. And I know when I looked at servicing history, um, it's due for new spark plugs, which I'll do that. And then it said something about doing a valve adjustment, which I understand. And I was curious if that could be the reason why there's that really hesitant kind of first kind of rough cold start, or if that's something that, you know, might want to be digging deeper on that might be a greater concern than that. I think you're going to dig deeper. Listen, you've got to do your due diligence and maintenance first. If it's due for plugs, do the plugs. If it's due yep. for, if it's due for a valve adjustment, do the valve adjustment. Valve, you know, unless the valve adjustment is severe and you're telling me you've got this tapping or knocking or noise all the time, a valve adjustment isn't going to make such a big difference from the crank cold to when it warms up. Yeah, it's sure. going to it's going to change a little bit, but it's not going to be drastic. So the easiest way is, you know, you can't diagnose against worn parts, so do your maintenance and do your adjustments first. When when the problem is still there and you've got to start thinking about which direction you're going to go, I would start to lean towards and think about problems with the timing chain and the valve timing control. They they do have issues with that engine. They do have issues with the tensioner and the adjuster. Uh, any check engine light on yet? No, no, no check engine lights, no lights or anything like okay. that. Just, and I don't even know because I just got it about a week ago, um, and I don't know how long it's been going on because I think, you know, the right. individual I purchased it from, it could have been doing this for a while, and he just didn't notice it. Um, and my wife was actually driving it, and she hadn't noticed it. I had noticed it, and I asked, did you hear that? And she said no, and then she kind of listened for it, and then she said, oh, yeah, I guess I noticed that now. So. Right. The that particular engine, oh six, oh seven, oh eight, uh, very common. It'll eventually, if it, if it's timing chain related, it'll probably set a P zero three forty one. And if you do some digging, you might find that the timing chain has either stretched or 
eventually, if it continues to do it on a regular basis, it'll have jumped the tooth. And I'm not saying this is your problem, but you know, if we're talking about common startup knock noise, uh, you know, on a four-cylinder Honda, this is a pretty normal conversation that happens on a regular basis. The, okay. There, there is a valve timing control solenoid that sticks out the front of the cylinder head. It's held in by one 10-millimeter head bolt. Um, it's pretty simple to replace. Uh, I've seen issues where that solenoid gets clogged. Uh, there's a very fine mesh screen on it where it gets restrictions in it. It does some funky things. Uh, the also, also to know that in all likelihood that that solenoid will be a slightly different design than the one that you get. Uh, and every time I see something like this, you know, when the part comes out looking like this and it goes in looking like that, aha, um, <laughs> there's a problem. You know, if the, yeah. if the manufacturer changed the way it looks, then I've got to think there's a reason. And, uh, okay, and that actually makes sense because I, I knew it had a timing chain, and then I even noticed today, you know, you start it up, I kind of hear that noise, and then I didn't notice this before, but then today we put it in drive, and I kind of heard a sort of a, a rattle for about a three-second period, and right. I thought to myself, that sounds like slipping or timing timing belt, timing chain, but again, I was thinking, well, it's a chain, it shouldn't have a whole lot of issues, but that makes a lot of sense if you're telling me that was a common yeah. sort of issue the, on that. The, 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 chains do, the chains do stretch on those. You know, the other the other issues that the later four cylinders had, and it seemed like once they fixed the timing chain problems, you know, it's funny, right, the things that dog car companies, so they fixed the timing chain problems 08, 09, and then they got into the 10s and the 11s at, where they have issues with the low-tension oil rings and oil consumption and spark plug fouling and, you know, uh, it's just it's just it just cracks me up and it it seems like a lot of the solutions point out towards making sure you're doing oil changes on a regular basis that's why you know and problems like this with a, to stretch a timing chain in 100,000 miles to me is bizarre i i don't understand why it happens other than you know i, I question the longer oil change interval and is the longer oil change interval they've got everybody drinking the Kool-Aid to believe is that the cause of the problem um, you know, it's a good question, but I would I would think in those terms, I would at least do have somebody scan it for codes to see if there's a pending 341. Maybe it hasn't turned the light on yet, but maybe it's about to. Good luck, Isaac. Keep me posted. I'm running Andy in the car, Doctor. We're coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy in the car, Doctor. 855-560-9900. Let me say that again. 855-560-9900. That's the car doctor's 24-7 number. Give us a call. We'll solve your problem. Have been for the past 25-plus years here on radio, and I'll put my 43 years of repairing cars to your benefit to help you better understand it and get more out of your ride. That's what this radio show is all about. Uh, real quick, couple of comments, and I want to do a couple of emails. I want to clear out the pile if I can. Uber. We posted it up on Facebook this week. Did anybody see it? Did anybody go up to the Facebook page? That um, Uber is in Pittsburgh. So you're sitting on the front porch of your house, and I have this firsthand experience from the uh, littlest Anian who's in Pittsburgh right now, and she says it's the weirdest thing. Here comes this car, and there's nobody in it except for somebody in the back seat, and it kind of glides by the house with all these things on the roof. She says it looks like something out of the movies, and um, it's Uber. So they are doing Uber in Pittsburgh. How well will it work, and how safe do we feel in it? I don't know. Um, it does make me a little nervous that I've got to depend on a, a robot and you know all that technology. And I don't know that I'm really I don't know that I'm really ready for it. I don't know that all of us are ready for it. 
you know, I think I think Uber self-driving cars has its place. I think for someone that doesn't drive or can't drive and you know needs to get out, I think it's a great idea as long as it works, as long as the technology is there. But um, it's got to be a weird thing, and she assures me it surely is that uh, to sit there and watch this go by. Really, she says, it just kind of makes your head turn, Dad. I just can't get over it. Anyway, this comes to us from Mike, Ron, uh, Mott, Ron, yeah, Ron. My wife has a 2012 Infiniti QX56 with 71,000 miles on it. The car's been serviced regularly, and she's the original owner. The check engine light came on about two weeks ago. The light went off after a few days. The car was taken to the dealer for routine maintenance, and she was told there was a recall out to replace the timing chain. She wasn't told, nor did she ask what was wrong with the chain. Check engine light came on again a day after the oil change, just had the code read, and it's a P0420. Could a faulty timing change damage the catalytic converter or result in a 420? Thanks, Mike. Um, it, it shouldn't, Mike. I see no reason why. There's no connection there. The timing chain issues were that they would stretch. It's funny. This is just like the previous caller with the Hondas, where Honda's having their issues with timing chains as well, in that the chains on the Infinities and also their their Nissan counterparts are having problems with stretch and making noise, and the tensioners are, are becoming problems, especially with the guides and all. So, no, where I think the dealer made the mistake here is, and this is just me, this is my way of doing it, a car comes in for service, major, something like that, I'm going to scan it for codes. I like scanning codes. I like being able to sit there and know what's in the car before I take the engine apart, especially if I'm going to disconnect the battery, and they would have had to in order to do the timing chain. So I think if more repair shops, hey, we're going to disconnect the battery, let's scan it and see. And, you know, this is this is cover your butt time, okay? Because here's the example where you're going to put this car together. Now it turns on a check engine light with a catalytic converter code. You, the consumer, think, hey, what'd they do to my car? But, in fact, the problem was there prior. It just had a secondary issue. Listen, 25 years ago, you took your car in for an oil change. You had the oil changed. Two days later, the brake light bulb burned out on the left side. You were smart enough, and you were able to understand that there's no connection between doing an oil change and a brake light bulb burning out. You got that. That was technology that just about everybody with common sense, which we seem to have more of 25 years ago, could deal with. Now you take your car into the dealership, and it has a recall done, a timing chain, uh, cylinder head gaskets, air conditioning overhaul, whatever the recall was. Now the check engine light comes on. In good conscience, since you don't understand the car to begin with at this level, you now attribute everything to the last thing done. Heck, I still remember a few people coming in saying, well, you just changed the oil. Did you do something to the brake light bulb? I still remember that from 25 years ago. All right? I think most of those people grew up and they're now in Washington. But, you know, that just goes to show you the common sense pattern. So, no, a P0420 can't be caused by a chain. But I would strongly recommend that you start as a consumer requesting Hey, before you take the car apart, can you scan it for codes? Don't you want to know what's in there history-wise? It Maybe there's a charge for it. Maybe it's a half hour. Maybe it's $50. Think of it as going to a doctor, and they're going to do your heart rate and blood pressure before they put you under the knife. They always want to know your, your vital signs and statistics before they do anything to you. It gives them information. Same thing with the car, different model. So, uh, no, Mike, it's not. It's You need cats, which 
on a 2012 Infiniti wouldn't be unusual either. So, um, although that's very low mileage, and I should point out, I would tell them to check software updates and for extended warranty because something about that strikes a bell. Like there are those are common faults as well. So you may be covered under that, and they'll have to go back and get that recall done. Who knows what the car will come out with the next time? Ha ha ha. Let's go and talk to John Stanford, Connecticut, 04 Buick Regal. John, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yeah, uh, we have a 2004 Buick Regal, which we just bought uh, from a private seller. And he warned us, well, not warned, but told us uh, about the remote button in the glove box and the, the trunk, the trunk remote button. Now, the problem is that if I if I plug it in at the trunk, it just comes open by itself as you're driving along, and uh, it's worn out the pistons, you know, that hold up the trunk lid because of that, the bouncing up and down and them not knowing it uh, until later on. Uh, and I'll replace the pistons uh, uh, arms, but the thing is, is that I can't plug it in. Because of that, would you have any idea? Well, so so you're saying there's you're saying there's a remote button in the trunk, which there is. I mean, I remember that was yeah. an option, and you're saying that yeah, while in you're, the glove box, yeah, right. Well, it's it's in the glove box, and there's one in the trunk, or the one for the glove box. No, just the one. The the button is in the glove box, but the thing is, the plug uh, that uh, the connector that operates it, I have to leave it unplugged because it'll just unlock itself. As okay. you're driving along, and uh, that's the problem. I mean, I've I've gone in the house and 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 not well. When I tried to get it to work, okay, properly, and I'd go in the house and I'd come out later on, maybe in the evening, and just go to the trunk and tug on it, and it'll it's it's unlocked, it's open, it's okay. not raised, but it's open. And uh, I, I don't know. Is there a short a shortage problem that well, you know yeah, about? Nothing. Nothing I'm familiar with. Nothing I've seen on a great basis. But my first question would be: before we make this too complicated and we start talking about, are there any body codes? And you know, I would be: is there any codes in the body computer? Right. Is there? You know, if, if I push on the button, um, I would be willing to bet that in software there's going to be an activation PID, meaning that I could watch on a scan tool to see if the computer sees me push on the button. Why can't I just have a okay. bad button? Why can't the button be self-activating? Why can't the button have the fault? Uh, I mean, yeah. just keep it simple. Um, yeah, uh, because I, you know, I'm I'm in the car right now, and if I were to to hook up the connector and just come and sit, you know, sit back in the car without food, opening the glove box and fooling with the button. Uh, Maybe I'd go like a half a block and then get out and check it, and the, the trunk's trunk open. Is open. Right, it's open. So, so, so my my question is again: if if the if the switch itself is failing, or if the switch itself is cycling by itself, then why can't okay. why can't we just have a bad switch? And I'm not saying to change it, but listen, mm-hmm. the the way I would approach this, John, is I would sit down and look at a wiring diagram and see how the circuit okay. works. And once I understand okay. how the circuit works, so, you know, let's take it. Let's take it in the other direction. How come? How come unplugging the switch prevents the trunk from opening? Either, either, uh, yeah. either, okay. either, either plugging in the switch is connecting the circuit, allowing whatever is at fault to energize the release, or 
The switch itself is an intermittent at fault, and it's energizing the release. But, you know, just because we disconnect that doesn't, you know, okay, let's not, let's ignore that. Um, Yeah, right. You know, so I would, I would say, you know, we've got, we need a wiring diagram. We need to sit down and look at it and figure out, okay, how's this thing getting power and where's it going? Uh, Without even looking at a diagram off the top of my head, I've got to believe that that switch is activating information to the BCM and the BCM, the body computer is actually controlling right. that release in the trunk. It's not a direct. It's not a direct line, especially in a two thousand four. So that's okay. how, that's how I would approach it. All right, All right then. So uh, I, I, you know, like I said, I, they had told us about it before we got it, but that wasn't a prereq as far as you know buying the car itself because uh, it, it's a nice car and it's nice running, and that's the only thing that real problem that I've come up with, and I, I was just looking for a solution yeah. to that. No, so. I would tell you, and then I would also tell you, you know, how much is a switch? You know, if a switch is 20 mm-hmm. bucks, it's the cheapest diagnosis you'll ever do. But I would still want to look at yeah, it. Yeah, and I, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty handy, and I could probably do it myself. Right. It looks like a whole bunch of uh, taking out here, but uh, I could probably do it myself if that's the case. And right. if it's that cheap, I'd just go ahead and, and buy one and throw it in and, and uh, uh, and see if it works, and if it does well, okay. If it doesn't, then you know I just got a new switch for the long term. But right. uh, so checking the wiring diagram would be the better thing. Yes, uh, as, and as and you. that's and that's probably where I would finish the conversation with you. I would still want to look at a wiring diagram to see, okay, how does this work, and what is it that I need right. it to do, and and then at that point, um, you know, listen, prove it to yourself. Look at a wiring diagram. If looking at a wiring right. diagram right. tells you that unplugging the switch is going to make the trunk stop working and plugging it back right. in will activate the circuit, then at least, you know, we've kind of got a focal point to pay attention to. Okay. All right, sir? Good, good. Okay, I've been listening to you for a long time over the years over this way, but uh, this is the first time uh, with the different cars I've had, the first time I got a chance to call you. So uh, it's a, a great show. It's, uh, it fades in and out, but I get a good signal here. So, well, uh, yeah, so appreciate your, appreciate your advice. I appreciate you being there, John, and thank you very much, and uh, you take good care. 855-560-9900, the car doctor's coming back. Don't go away. Hey, welcome, Ron and the Car Doctor. Welcome back, 855-560-9900. I'll do it again, 855-560-9900, the 24-7 Car Doctor phone number. Call, leave a message if we're not on the air, and we will call you back and put you in the lineup uh, for the following week's show. We are live if you wish to call us. Even if you can't get us, you know, if you're on an affiliate that can't get us, you know, live, etc., you're on a delayed broadcast or a podcast or whatever, if you call 855-560-9900, Saturdays, between 2 and 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we'll put you up live in the queue, and uh, we can talk about the problem here on radio. Let's get over and talk to, speaking of talking to people on radio, let's go over and talk to Tim from Michigan, 08 Chevy Silverado. Tim, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Thank you, Ron. Big fan. Thank you. What's going on? Well, I have only oh, 2008 Silverado 5.3. I bought it used uh, a couple years back. Just an excellent shape and all that. I've been babied, and I'm babying it just as well. I'm a big maintenance freak also. I've got your general oil changes. I'm an old school guy. I'm kind of thinking about going back to doing my own. 
Uh, I got a little bit uh, tied up with the drive-through oil changes, and I'm not real happy. Right. Anyway, my question, my question is, the last time I got an oil change, I went to the dealer. I wanted a rotation and all that. And they put Dexos in this truck. And uh, I, I don't know. In the morning now, I have a little tick. It goes away when the truck warms up. And um, I guess, I, you know, for the first time, I pulled the stick. Uh, after about a thousand miles on the soil change, and I'm about half a quart low. I've never seen that in this truck. So my question would be, what viscosity? I would think more along in terms of viscosity, Tim. Uh, what what was in it then versus what they're doing now? Dexos, Dexos, the Dexos formulated oil is backwards compatible. I've I've uh-huh. I've never seen a bulletin that commented about detrimental damage or issues. And Dexos has always been rated backwards. As a matter of fact, that's all you can get down at the GM store now is Dexos. To my knowledge, you can't get the older stuff. So right. I would think more in terms of what viscosity and what brand of oil did they put in it versus what was in it. And just because it's a dealer, and I'm not saying this dealer is good or bad, but I question everything. You know, it doesn't mean they put a Delco filter on it or a good filter, and it doesn't mean they put good oil in it. They just put something Dexos rated. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to write it off as a coincidence. You know, I, okay. I, I want to kind of think along the lines, if there's a cause and effect, if they can show me that the truck calls for 520 and they put 520 in it, it calls for synthetic and they put synthetic Dexos in it. I'm okay with all that. As long as it okay. meets, as long as it meets manufacturer specs, as long as it meets manufacturer specs and it's got a good oil filter with a good drain back valve in it, then I'm going to say that it's normal, the age of the beast. And okay. you know, it is what it is, so uh, that that that'd be the first place I would start. Now okay. I, I have. How do you, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. How do you feel about? I'm I'm gonna. Go, I haven't changed my own oil in probably ten years. Uh, I'm thinking about going back to that. How do you feel about this high mileage oil that you see on the store shelves? No, I'm not a fan of it. You know, it's funny. It's the second question I had this hour about high mileage oil. I think if you're doing regular oil changes. Uh, you know, I think the high mileage oil, I think if it was more necessary, it would have taken off. Do I think it's a bad thing? No. If you want to spend the extra money and do it, I don't think it's going to hurt you, but I don't want to put my faith in it either. You know, I'd, okay. I'd, I'd have to see more about it. I'm like you. I'm an old school guy. All right. I think I think that oil is the cheapest thing you can put in a car and regular maintenance. And I sure. think I think that's one of the reasons why some cars go the distance and others don't. And I know there's somebody out there that's going to write me an email that says, hey, I've got 300,000 miles on my car and I've done four oil changes. Great. You're the, ex- you're the exception. You know, yeah. let's, let's, let's talk about from a real-world perspective. Because one of the things that people don't really stop to think about is the value of an oil change is not in just doing the change. It's also in the maintenance that people see under the hood and, you know, the, the catch it before it becomes a problem resolution that occurs because somebody's got their eyes open. So, uh, but anyway, you go ahead, Tim, and do what you have to do and uh, enjoy driving your truck. And thanks for being part of the car doctor. I'm Ron Ananian. We'll be back right after this. Hey, 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 welcome back. Ron Ananian, the car doctor. Boy, a, a quick two hours today. It just sort of flew by and took off all on its own, especially that last break. We all looked at each other and said, where did that go? But uh, we dealt with that, too. Listen, I think the bottom line that comes out of today's show is looking back at the calls. Maybe we're going to do this every week. Look at the age of the vehicles. Look at all the complaints and concerns this week over oil, engine noises, timing chain problems, valve timing control problems, 
still makes the case that oil changes are the most important thing you can do to the car on a regular basis. So don't buy what the manufacturer is telling you. They're trying to sell you another car in four or five years. Till the next time, I'm Ron Anini, the car doctor, and I'm reminding each and every one of you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. We'll be right back.